Comm Stay Live. I'm Graham Lynch. Uh, we've got a special edition this week all about the Australasia Satellite Forum, which was held by Comms Day and UK publisher Talk Satellite in Sydney. It was a great event, employing the hybrid model. Probably about two-thirds of the delegates and about half of the speakers were in the room, and the remainder participated online. Now, this year, there was a big focus on developing Australian capability in terms of local industry, sovereign control, and a skills and capital base. So we'll kick off, first of all, by hearing from Nick Leake, who's the Head of Satellite and Space Systems at Optus. Now, Optus is the largest Australian satellite operator by far. And Nick has some very interesting news on Optus's imminent plans in the satellite space, along with his thoughts on the need for a dedicated government satellite, perhaps in some form of alliance with NBN. Um, you know, we, we, you know, our spacecraft are, are built and designed to service you know, Australian citizens and Australian companies, the Commonwealth and the various state, state governance, uh, governments. The Optus 11 spacecraft will give us a broader polygon um, that covers Antarctica and the Pacific Islands. So our focus is, is, is really local. Um, you know, the services that we provide out of McMurdo Sound are expanding. Um, we'll be able to put a number of spot beams over that region that will cover up to six of the Antarctic bases that are desperate for, for connectivity. Um, we've talked about the government's use of uh, satellite. Um, there is a green paper that's just been responded to by Optus and a lot of the, the broadcast industry that's looking at the, the delivery of media uh, in the future. Um, how vast will continue, but moreover, the the intelligence from a from a broadcast network has always been in the conditional access in the ground. Now you're moving to a software-defined capability. You're moving some of that uh, delivery of of content, both video and IP streaming, by the use of intelligence on the spacecraft. So you can basically look at the regional broadcasters, you can shape a beam around their broadcast area, which means that they can deliver specific content to their viewers, and more importantly, they can deliver, deliver local advertising to, to those um, viewers instead of you know, watching something in Alice Springs and there's an advert for <coughs> something in Broome. So there's a lot of changing, changing um, technologies within the spacecraft and the virtualization of the ground equipment. Uh, or the ground, ground segment that basically gets you to a point that if you're looking at alternative voice services, if you're looking at alternative media services, if you're looking at vast, if you're looking at things like hosted payloads for bushfire detection, for the SBAS that geoscience is looking at to basically improve the accuracy of our GPS locations. If you look at other types of optical payloads, you know, Optus have got spacecraft that are being launched and that can actually provide those services to the bush. So we see this growth in capability that is, is, is driven fundamentally by, by government to the extent that we can see so much government business that there is an argument that we should be looking at a GovSat in conjunction with what MBN do in delivery of uh, internet services, Optus delivering video services. So we, we see that there is this, this momentum that's building up that says to be able to deliver people in re regional remote areas the TV content, the internet content, any other types of services, bushfire monitoring, 
GPS accuracy, then there's, a, there's big arguments that, um, along with the big JP9102 program, that there's a lot of capability that we as Australians, companies, consumers can benefit from uh, an investment in, in satellite technology. Okay, now as I say, the focus of the event was very much on developing that sovereign capability. Glenn Tendall, the CEO of EOS Communication Systems, thought it would be a useful exercise to actually uh, create a definition on what this actually means, as well as a definition for the other buzzword of the moment, resilience. So defence is obviously a key user of space. And over the preceding years, uh, in terms of policy guidance we're seeing from government, uh, you can see a renewed, and, uh, a renewed commitment and an increasing commitment towards um, a more resilient and sovereign uh, space ecosystem to support our defence efforts. Um, I've, I've given an excerpt there. I've picked it a little bit at random from, I think, the 2020 Defence Strategic Update. You, everywhere you see the words um, resilience, or self uh, resilience and self-reliance or sovereignty appearing. Again, I commend the uh, government in uh, following, this, um, uh, following this pathway. Um, it's pretty clear that, uh, you know, as uh, the de defence evolves, all of the new platforms are highly network-centric. It's, it's uh, fundamental to um, our, any, any type of defence operations that they have uh, good visibility and control of, of space. Um, I'd also note this, the space agency is clearly aligned with this vision as well. Now, what does sovereignty mean and what does resilience mean? So I can guarantee everyone who stands on this stage will say they're sovereign and resilient, um, no matter where they come from. But, uh, and there's, there's obviously degrees of interpretation here, and within the defence community, you're seeing a lot of discussion about what does this really mean. So these are Glenn Tyndall's view of what sovereignty and resilience mean. Sovereignty means that the decisions are made here. It doesn't mean you have an ABN. It doesn't mean you have a local P&L. It means the critical decisions are made by Australians in Australia without foreign influence. And if you think about the US foci rules, a bit the same idea, right? So that means that we're making decisions here for us, not being dictated to by pr probably well-meaning folks, but overseas. And I think this is a key, uh, a, a key point that we should all bear in mind when we're developing services, uh, not just for government, but for the, the Australian economy in general. And uh, I had to address resilience as well. Uh, this is my dumbed-down version, because I, I know there's a lot of uh, more technical versions, but it means it'll work when you want it to work, right? It's there when you need it. Uh, and, and I think there's been a lot of thinking uh, from the old days of, oh, we'll put all our eggs in one basket, because it, it'll be fine. There's been a lot more thinking towards um, making sure that there are plenty of options out there, that, uh, that we have the capabilities we're going to need with diverse and differentiated capabilities. And I think that's going to drive what we see in, in defence and, and government more generally. But anyway, that's enough uh, cat among the pigeon stuff. Um, so a year and a bit ago, I'd never heard of EOS, and um, probably a lot of you are a bit the same. So uh, what, what came as a surprise to me as I started to dig into it was that uh, EOS is um, Australia's largest... Um, uh, publicly traded and, and sovereign defence exporter. Um, it's been around for about 35 years. Um, about 90% of its business is export. So this is a very Australian story, right? So in order to get successful, you have to be successful overseas first, and then you, want, then you really have to sort of come on home. Interesting stuff. Now, the event was kicked off by the Federal Regional Communications Minister, Mark Colton. 
It's rare that we hear government ministers opining about the future of satellite, especially in terms of Leosats and, and also universal service. So it was notable that Mark spent some part of his speech looking into the crystal ball. Satellite technology is evolving all the time and very clever people, a number of whom are in the room, uh, are coming up with new and amazing applications for this technology. Perhaps unsurprisingly, some of the use cases I'm most excited about are those which will provide benefits to regional Australia. One exciting endeavour already underway is our alternative voice services trial, which is looking at new ways to deliver voice services in regional, rural and remote Australia. Many of these trials are testing voice services delivering directly over satellite or using satellite backhaul. And some of the trials will allow people to use their mobiles in and around their homes to make calls over satellite. The trials will run until the end of June 2022, so watch this space. Another exciting advancement in the satellite space is the development of low Earth orbit satellites. As you'd be aware, satellite broadband connectivity has typically been provided by geostationary satellites that service a fixed geographical area. These satellites orbit over 35,000 kilometres above the Earth, giving coverage over large footprints. But this distance also means that these services have a higher latency. Low Earth orbit satellites, which operate closer to the Earth's surface and rotate in constellations, have a potential to provide users with the high-speed broadband with lower latency and higher bandwidth than current geostationary satellites. This could really be a game-changer for many regional Australians, potentially enabling applications such as video conferencing that are data-intensive and require near real-time responsiveness. There are many low-Earth satellite constellations being proposed and are developed by a range of players. I'm sure we will be able to be watching with great interest to see how these offerings evolve and the role they can play in meeting the telecommunications needs of Australians. Low Earth orbit satellites can do support uh, remote networks of Internet of Things devices, facilitate applications such as asset management, environment monitoring and telematics. For example, Internet of Things sensor networks such as soil moisture sensors can provide real-time environmental data. Smart tags can provide real-time tracking for goods and enhance provenance information. Interconnected machinery on farms and mining sites can be used to automate processes and generate operational data that can help identify more efficient ways of working. These IoT devices have a wide range of productivity enhancing applications across various sectors in regional Australia, from agriculture and mining to transport, logistics and healthcare. As Minister for Regional Communications and Regional Health, and having lived in a rural area all my entire life, I'm very interested to find out how we can use these applications to strengthen regional economies and improve services. Okay, so we all accept that LeoSats present a great opportunity. Uh, what people cannot agree on, though, is what effect they will have on the ecosystem. NSR head research analyst Jose Del Rosario had a stab at this very question. Uh, great question. Um, a lot of attention are, are on Leos. Um, they've been there at least seven years for last count. But the, the challenges remain. Um, the, the equipment, um, 
you know, these, these was a very sophisticated satellites in the thousands, um, some of hundreds. But to coordinate the signal, to close the signal, to track the antenna, uh, to track the signals and close the loop. And uh, technologically, it can be done. It is being done. But to have an affordable price and close the business case, that's not there yet. Um, landing rights. So it, it's a global system. But do they have the distribution channels, the regulatory environment that is favorable to Nageo? So if I look at um, Bakti in Indonesia, for instance, they're looking at a market with at least one terabytes of capacity requirement over the five to seven years. They've placed their, bet, their bets today in Geo, and the regulatory regime, the legal requirements are specific for Geo. They're looking into Leos, but with the challenges on the ground equipment, they're sort of putting that in the back burner. So if we assume that the ground segment is solved, and I think that will be within the next five years. So you have an, uh, you have an affordable ground equipment, you have very low prices, if you're a geo player and suddenly megabits per second at $150 per month now goes down to $50, $40, dollars per month for megabits per second, they have to compete. So how do you do that and close your business case? Um, that's a big disruptor. And uh, we don't have the answer. But I think if you're a pure play capacity uh, provisioner, you probably need to go down the value chain in order to not just look at, at the wholesale model, but an end-to-end -end retail model to you know, increase the ARPU level and, uh, and to get the premium service to justify the business. So from an operator point of view, more vertical integration might take place, more service provisioning will take place. And that's the disruption at a minimum that we see that he used. Uh, okay, interesting stuff. Now, while LeoSats may be a potential godsend in terms of solving the universal service problem, there was a strong reminder from our Pacific neighbours at the forum this week. There is a still long way to go to bring them to market and to make a difference. Tony Ferris, the CEO of Solomon Islands Telco Satsol, made this very point. All these um, Leo solutions are sort of aimed at the first world in some instances where everyone's got a credit card or a debit card and then you, it arrives in the mail and you go and put it in your house and it sort of finds where the satellites are and every month it gets taken out of your credit card or whatever. But in places like this, no one's got any bank accounts. No one's got any credit cards. So the single user solution doesn't work in these remote areas in, in the Pacific. So I believe we have to develop a single village solution. So a middleman comes in, puts in a single village solution for the village, and they connect to that particular um, um, LTE solution. Uh, and then billing, back to this billing point again, is used via an e-wallet. You don't need a bank account for e-wallet solutions. That's what I believe. Okay. Now, we'll be taking another look at Australasia Satellite Forum in next week's edition of Comms Day Live. And after the break, our sponsored interview with Telstra's Sandeep Kumar. Now, 
Now, I've been covering both telecommunications and satellite communications for over 20 years. And so I've seen uh, the best and the worst of both worlds, and particularly the way some people in the telecom sector can be dismissive of the capabilities of satellite. But I also do sense that's beginning to change quite a lot as people become aware of the massive advancements in satellite technology. So to discuss this, uh, I'm joined by Sandeep Kumar, who's the Head of International Satellite for Telstra. Welcome, Sandeep. Hi. Uh, nice to be here, Graham. Okay. Um, first of all, this, I, I want to I uh, take us through a list of myths about satellite, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to bust a few of them. So let's start off with um, capacity. It's often been said about satellites that they, are, that they have massive capacity constraints and thus they're not useful. Is, is that the case? Look, so capacity constraint used to be, uh, especially when you compare with telecommunication technologies, right? The, the, the historical satellite used to be in some gigabits, you know, for maybe two gigabits total satellite capacity. But, but there has been so many advancements lately that now we're talking about satellites that are going into terabits, you know, so each satellite can carry terabits. And we have constellations that now can carry terabits. So, you know, there has been a leap uh, <clears throat> made in the capacity. So I don't think those constraints, constraints will exist anymore. Okay, now another um, so-called myth about satellite is that it's too expensive. Um, again, is that still the case? Look, so relatively, yes, it, it, it is pricier than all other technologies, as we, we all know that. But again, you know, it has been becoming affordable in the last many years. And, and specifically in the last five years, there has been so much innovation in the industry and everything that it has become a lot more affordable. And, and, you know, small to medium business enterprises, even consumers now are benefiting from, from the overall cost reduction. And if you sort of dive into it, you know, how the reduction has been made, it has been made on all fronts. So all the all the uh, components that build the cost of satellite uh, systems as 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 an ecosystem have gone down, and now you know the hardware has become affordable, the capacity has become affordable, the network has become much better. So yes, now you know those days are I think behind us now. Okay. Now one of the other things I hear um, from the naysayers: oh, satellite way too complicated to deploy. True or false? <laughs> Oh, look, so, you know, I, I would say, again, you know, everything is transitioning, right? It used to be somewhat true. You know, you needed a really qualified, you know, a bunch of engineers to install satellite systems uh, on the ground. And now, you know, there are systems that can be self-installed, right? So that's where the industry is progressing. You know, there are people shipping consumer satellites, uh, you know, VSATs that can be self-installed by customers themselves. And you have probably seen some videos floating around for stalling. You know, you just put it, it, it looks at the satellite as long as you can power it and, and give it a bit of clear sky so yeah it has changed quite a lot uh, and, and now you know consumers can install it or someone with, with basic knowledge can install it okay now i now the, the 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 satellite naysayers often think this is their killer argument satellites are high up in space often thousands of kilometers that leads to high latency and latency kills everything what do you say to that Okay. So yes, that, that's true. You know, satellite, you know, the geostationary satellite that's been used for communication purposes have been uh, at an altitude of 36,000 kilometers. And, 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 you know, it's a, it's a matter of physics, you know, by the time the signal goes up and down, it, it takes, it takes, uh, you know, around 550 milliseconds for a round trip delay. But again, you know, in the past, uh, uh, 
say eight years, there has been a lot of uh, <clears throat> advancement made in terms of altitudes of satellites. And we have seen the medium Earth orbit satellites being launched and now you know, LEOs of the low Earth orbit satellites being launched. So everything is sort of coming down towards, you know, more closer to the Earth, reducing the latency significantly. So, you know, from the days of 550, 600 milliseconds, now we are talking about 30 to 40 milliseconds. There are other types of uh, platforms that are also being made, made available. But again, you know, one of the myths that it still doesn't work on Geo. So yes, a lot of applications work on Geo perfectly fine. Remember, you know, uh, in, in old days when there were no cable systems, people used to call international using satellites, not cables. Cables came later on. So a lot of people have forgotten that, that part. So yes, there are certain applications that are client-based would work better if the latency is low, but latency doesn't kill everything. Okay, what, what about the question of, of um, compatibility and interoperability? Does satellite work with people's network systems? Absolutely, right? So, you know, satellite is not a standalone system by, by its own, right? It has to always connect to a network eventually. And, and we have seen the advancement, in fact, you know, satellite would is just just an extension of your own, you know, wide area network in that sense. You know, you could do it by fiber or wireless or other means. Uh, satellite technology has come to an extent that you know now you know it is fully IP and you can overlay any any uh, application over that. And in fact, the newest application have been using SD WAN technology, so it just looks like a like another node uh, on on your network. So yes, it does interoperate with everything that you can think of. Okay, and a corollary of that is some people make the claim that satellite doesn't work with new technologies such as SD-WAN. No, that's look, I, I, that's not true. You know, we have deployed actually, you know, <clears throat> some customer network that are using SD-WAN, and, and you know, traditionally, you know, it has it has uh, used serial type of communication like a long line and then it went into IP. Uh, people have been using it using either internet as a backend or IP VPN on MPLS as a backend and the newest technology has been SD-WAN and going back into the cloud. So I think that's just a, just a myth that it doesn't work. No, it does actually work with, with everything that is available on terrestrial technologies. Okay, I've still got more to throw at you here, Sandeep. Yeah. The weather. Surely you can't mm-hmm. make an argument about that if it's rain or, or thunderstorms that does affect satellite communications. Yeah, look, so it, it does. You know, it, it is a nature of RF. When it passes through, uh, through, through, through rain droplets, it does get attenuated. Uh, but if, if you look at, uh, you know, certain bands like C-band, it does get attenuated the least, right? So you still get an availability of 99.95. Yes, the newer bands like K-band, which is very high frequencies, get somewhat more attenuated, but you are still getting, you know, close to 99.7% availability. Uh, and there are, you know, softwares in the modem that's help them to maintain that length. So sometimes you know, they, they can decrease the, the overall throughput, but you still can maintain the length. So yes, there is an effect on every type of RF and especially high end you know, or, or high frequencies, but it is not to an extent that it is unusable or anything. Okay, what and, about- and practically being used in countries like Papua New Guinea, Northern Queensland, and it does work. Yes, it does get affected somewhat, but yes, you know, it still maintains the length. Okay, what about security? Um, surely with the, the, the distances it traverses, uh, it makes it a lot more difficult to s- secure. Look, in fact, it, it is the other way. You know, for satellite systems are inherent, inherently more secure than terrestrial technologies, and especially, you know, uh, subsea cables. If, if you look at, you know, subsea cables, they land at many, many different landing stations. They go through a lot of equipment that can be, that 
that can be under control of other governments and, and so on. Whereas satellite links are usually you know, from one end to another end and you have a full control over that satellite link. And it is inherently secure in that sense that you know, if you look at all the government departments, military, they all rely on satellite communication. And obviously you can put more layers of security on top of that. So satellite systems are actually inherently more secure, uh, relatively speaking, than uh, any other fiber technologies. Okay, so um, my final question, uh, some people would like to portray or position satellite as a technology of the past. I, I would assume that you disagree with that. Tell me why. Yeah. Absolutely. Look, uh, there have been times in the industry when people thought, hey, uh, you know, there have been so many advancements made, especially in other wireless technologies and fiber technologies, that satellite is going to, you know, get left behind. And it kind of started to sort of roll back. But, you know, <clears throat> if you see lately what has happened in the industry, all the big names have jumped into into satellite comms, right? The, the, the likes of uh, Elon Musk and the like of Jeff, Jeff Bezos, they're all sort of putting behind constellation of satellites. So obviously, you know, there is a lot of belief in, in, in satellite technologies of the future as it become more affordable, more reliable, uh, easy to deploy. So I don't think it is a technology of past. It, it is technology of present. And I think satellite, you know, going forward, you will see it will become more inherent part of any, any telco offering. Well, it definitely is an exciting space. And with that, pardon the poor pun there, um, uh, with that, I'd like to thank you for busting a few myths today, Sandeep. My pleasure, and then thank you for having me on board, Jaren. And that's it for Comms Day Live this week. We'll be back with more from the Australasia Satellite Forum next week.